Hello and welcome to the High Adventure Podcast. My name is Jeff Bargin and this is Episode 7. And another of our special episodes where we try to put into context the goals and desires and ambitions of Maurice Wilson. Going into this season and into this story, I thought Maurice was this unique and curious anomaly in the history of aviation and mountaineering. But somewhere along the line, the dots started to connect that Maurice and every adventure athlete I've either met or read about share certain characteristics. In this episode, I want to introduce you to a couple people that represent and articulate those characteristics. In 2011, Dave Chamberlain, a South African scuba diving instructor, set off to run the 2,100-mile length of Argentina after a challenge from some friends over a sushi dinner one evening. Following that run, Dave ran 2,600 miles across the Namibian desert to South Africa. He followed that up with the first unassisted run across Canada. The Canada run was documented in our film West to the Sea. Dave later challenged himself to run the equivalent of 50 marathons in 50 days. He ran the route of the well-known South African marathon, the Two Oceans Marathons, which follow a route with views of both the Indian and Atlantic Oceans. He took on this challenge as a fundraiser for the African Penguin Relocation Project, which assists in the relocating of African penguins to a location that would help to ensure the survival of these very unique birds. During Dave's 5,000-mile, seven-month run across Canada, he met and talked with hundreds of people. One guy in particular just jumped off the screen while we were editing the film. His name was Tom, and he was an innkeeper with a great little place in Kimberley, British Columbia. Aside from his job of making people happy and comfortable at his inn, Tom Ristamaki has a Ph.D. in Possibilities. We sat Dave and Tom together and let them discuss possibilities versus probabilities and how to inspire people to follow their dreams and how to make the most out of their own ambitions and dreams. When I watched this clip again recently, it reminded me of Maurice and this seemingly inability to govern his own ambitions and desires. It's not often we stumble upon two people who are involved with the idea of inspiring people and getting a chance to have them discuss their approaches to that endeavor. Dave tries to inspire by example, and Tom takes an emotional and intellectual approach, but both share a dream of making all of us happier by inspiring us to attempt to achieve a goal. Uh, The emphasis is on the attempt. The success is the attempt. Dave and Tom talk about what it means to try to do something for yourself that may in turn inspire others. It's striking how similar all these athletes are when discussing their dreams. Better to have loved and lost rather than to never have loved at all is a metaphor for giving yourself over to a desire and doing everything possible to achieve success. But the value is in the effort more than in the achievement. The achievement is the frosting and the effort is the cake. Cake without frosting can be hugely satisfying. Maurice Wilson wanted to be the first person to stand on the summit of Mount Everest. He thought that that achievement would not only satisfy his desire, but that it would inspire the world to try something that they could be proud of. You may notice some difference in sound quality during this discussion. The conversation actually spanned over two days and was recorded in two different locations, so bear with us. It's 
really about the content of their discussion and not the quality of the sound. So from 1933 in the windswept slopes of Everest to 2015 in a small town in western Canada, dreams are what we have in common, but acting on those dreams is what separates us. Here are Dave Chamberlain and Tom Ristamaki. Uh, so my name's Tom, and I inspire people to explore new worldviews, and I have a PhD in possibility. So what that actually means is that uh, the research for my PhD was, was all focused on the question of uh, how do people decide what's possible and impossible? How do, they, how do they decide what they can do and what they can't do? And I was interested in, in working with those beliefs and empowering people to, to attempt the crazy and unrealistic goals that inspire them. So that's why I was stoked to meet you, because you're obviously doing something cool and inspiring and and motivated by something. So Yeah, look, my juggling's pretty good. You know, yeah. It, it really gets people going. Well, <laughs> so, so. But semantics, possibility versus probability. Because the possibility, everything is possible. The probability of that possibility will fluctuate. Well it's that whole throwing <clears throat> a cat thing. Do you know that test? Yeah. yeah. Know, the and possibility I... it's alive or it's dead is equal at every stage. But the probability shifts as, as time. Yeah. And I, and I wouldn't even say in most cases uh, that anything is possible okay. or that everything is possible because as an abstract concept, that might sound okay, but, but we exist in, you know, in a subjective reality that imposes all kinds of other constraints and factors. So... So in this moment, what's possible is limited by who we are and where we are. And, and uh, you know, and then it depends on the, the scope of the context, how broad you want to look. Like if you if you wanted to go do something in South Africa this afternoon, that's probably not going to work out very well, unless you have some other extraordinary abilities I'm not aware of. But, you know, for and that's the whole thing is like everybody's different and everybody has to evaluate that themselves. It's not, it doesn't matter what I tell you is possible or impossible because you're going to have to make that decision for yourself based on who you think you are and what you believe about the world and the situation that you find yourself in, you know? So if I said cold is a state of mind. Yeah. Like that's that's a super interesting perspective because we you know, I'm going to make some generalizations which I don't you know uh, we all appear to live in a physical reality and we all seem to share some basic features so so there are some people who would say that cold is objective right and that cold like you can measure the temperature with whatever instruments and and you can tell the difference between hot and cold in this objective standard but you, as a human being, you don't live in an objective reality. You live in a subjective reality. Everything that you experience is subjective. No matter how scientific you are or how much you, you know, if you're a journalist or a scientist, they, they might strive for objectivity in the work that they're doing, but their actual embodied experience as human beings is completely subjective. And so, yeah, your state of mind is going to affect your perception of cold and your experience of it and the way you respond to it. So how, like, have you been cold on your run or how, how do you experience I, temperature? I, I don't. I have a physiological anomaly, I think. 
where my thermoreceptors just don't pick up cold, so I get cold because I'm a mammal. Uh, but the first time I know I'm cold is when capillary refill is non-existent, so it's all white and yeah. slow movement. So I don't feel the cold, but I still suffer the effects of of cold. But having said that, when I first arrived in Newfoundland, straight out of a African summer, coming into Newfoundland, I was like, holy goodness, this is just ridiculous. <laughs> Two days later, no, back in shorts and t-shirt. And so it's, yeah, I suppose, like anything, hey, you can shift your opinion and change your opinion. You're entitled to change your outlook on life yeah well and it's i think it's more than opinion it's like it's deeper than you just saying i'm just going to decide i don't feel cold you know um because what it, what it sounds like you're saying is that you genuinely experience cold differently than than what you think most people do uh or you or you respond to it because well, <clears throat> but i think there's also a decision because like for a run like this, and again, just bring it back to something I know so I can speak from personal, mm -hmm. but I've chosen to do this run. I know that there's going to be less than wonderful moments, but I can't tell you what they're all going to be. I don't know. I might have my leg ripped off by a bear in two days' time, or I might get hit by a car. Right. I can't tell you exactly what all the bad moments will be, but I do have to accept that there are going to be bad moments. Some of them I can... I can say, well, it's going to rain at some stage. Mm -hmm. It's probably going to snow. So some I can sort of get to grips with, some I can't. But I've decided to do this project. And in deciding to that, I've sort of given it blanket, sort of carte blanche, right, I will accept come what may. Yeah. and that's uh, So I've chosen almost to accept <coughs> that in another circumstance, I might think, oh, my goodness, this is overwhelming. But because I'm in this position and I've chosen to do it, and I've chosen to accept responsibility for that decision, Yeah. then I've chosen to say, well, a broken toe isn't actually as debilitating as it was if I was just on a picnic trying to, right. on Valentine's Day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and I think acceptance, that word is, that's the key right there, is you've, you've got this goal or this vision, and you've accepted whatever, you know, whatever is going to happen is going to happen, and you're okay with that. So there's a lot less resistance to whatever does come up. If the temperature changes or it starts to rain or whatever, you blow a hole in your shoe, you're still going to, you know, you've decided that you're going to keep doing what you're doing. Um, and that's something that everyone can apply, really, when they, um, um, like, there's there's lots of things that people might be scared to do, and that's a, a perfectly normal reaction, right? So, so they, they want to try something new that they've never done before, and it's a little intimidating, and they might feel scared, and their heart starts to beat, and their palms get a bit sweaty, and that's normal. Yeah. So what, what a lot of people will do is create an artificial barrier around that. And they'll say, well, I can't do that because I'm scared. And But that's not true. Like, you can... Uh, being scared is part of the is part of the process for a lot of people. And there's nothing wrong with being scared. You can still decide whether you're going to do that or not. And you can, um, there's a great acronym that came up while I was studying firewalking, which was uh, FEAR, F-E-A-R, is false evidence appearing real. Um, and, and there's also a really common expression within uh, that work. I think it's actually the name of a book by Susan Jeffers, which is feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah. So... So you can embrace that, you know, be like, yeah, like I'm, I'm terrified and this is freaking me out, but that, 
that goal or that intention is important to me and I'm going to choose to act anyway. Does that make sense? It does. No, I, I get, <clears throat> I mean, going back one project to Namibia, uh, so I don't really plan much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I rocked up there and, and then realized it being a desert. I mean, I knew there's no water in the desert, but I still thought there would be. You know, and then it's like, <laughs> oh my goodness. And you arrive there and you're flying over and you see all the sand. Well, I actually drove up, which was even worse because mm. I then had a whole day's worth of seeing nothing and thinking I've got to run through this. Um, so there's always that, that, that fear, but I think fear is, it's part of the survival, you know, it's part of our survival instinct in any case. So it either mm. kicks you into that fight or flight mode. And uh, that again is almost, I mean, some people it comes easier than others, but that's also almost a choice you can, choose to face it or you can just say no it's not for me and there's nothing necessarily wrong i don't think in a recognize as long as you recognize your weakness mm -hmm. so if i backed off at the beginning this is my opinion and i said okay i backed off in the beginning but it's because i realized i'd bitten off more than i was competent with not that i couldn't do it but in my state of mind i yeah. felt that i couldn't overcome that particular obstacle yeah uh, then that's not so much failure but if i backed out and said well it's because there's dust in my eye. I got, you know, bitten by a mosquito. If, I think it's also fear, getting back to that failure thing, mm -hmm. um, is where you portion, what you learn from it. If, if you're willing to, it, how, how honest you are as well with yourself. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> what, what was really the motivation behind calling it off and whether you can learn from it. Because if, if you're never learning from it, if you're always blaming something else, then that's, that would be a failure because... You haven't failed in the project, but you failed in life almost in, in attaining that lesson that was given to you. Yeah. And for me, when I work with people, there, you know, I try to emphasize there's a difference between between saying something can't be done yeah. versus acknowledging that you're just making a choice, yeah. that you're choosing not to do it. Yeah. And that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with making that choice. Um, and it's and it's way less limiting. You're, you're way more free when you recognize like, yeah, like... You know, I could be in Finland by the end of the week if I wanted to. Yeah. I just pull out a credit card, hitchhike to the airport, get on a plane, and like, you know, I can, I can be, I can do that. Yeah. There'll be consequences for sure. You know, I might abandon certain responsibilities and go into debt and whatever, but it's still possible. Yeah. And then you're just making a choice, like, yeah, well, I don't like those consequences, so I'm not going to do that. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and you don't feel limited or constrained by that you know you're you're free to choose and you just acknowledge the consequences one way or the other um but the but the the worldview piece is fascinating because you know people's beliefs about who they are and, and what they believe about the world yeah shapes all of that yeah. and and like you said with the cold thing um most of us have some kind of belief in the body you know, like yeah. most most people have have a. I shouldn't say most people. I, I'm trying to stop doing that. But uh, I have I have this perception that most people share some common beliefs about the body, and that there's this belief in separation, that uh, that I'm over here and you're over there, and the boundary between us, or you know, if if they wanted to define, you know, where do I, where do I stop? Yeah. And where do you start? Yeah. The common sense definition of that is the physical body yeah. and the skin, right? But that's only one 
set of beliefs. You know, there are people who believe that that you're a separate body and you exist independently and we're all roaming around in a physical universe. And then there's a whole bunch of other people with very different beliefs about all that, that, um, that who I am extends beyond the body and that it can be felt and perceived in different ways at different distances and the, the physical skin isn't really a barrier that, that forces and things can act at a distance beyond that. And, and that's a big stretch for people to even, for, for some people, that's a big stretch to even contemplate, um, you know, and they might say, um, you know, well, I don't believe in invisible forces or whatever, but if you've ever used a garage, a garage door opener or a TV remote, then you use invisible forces all the time, you know, like it's just, it's, it's a set of invisible forces that you've identified, that have been identified by science and are measurable. And, and yeah. so you trust that. Oh yeah, okay. So there is some some magic beam that goes from the remote to the TV and I never see it, but somehow the TV turns on or you know, something goes from the radio station and it gets picked up in my car. You know, those are all invisible forces that we're surrounded by and immersed in. Um and some people's worldviews include a whole range of other forces that uh that extend beyond the body, whether you want to talk about, you know, the aura or the human energy field or or even just the magnetic field that's generated by the beating of your own heart. You know, like that's, you can go get some instruments and you can measure it. And, and there's, you know, people can sense you at a distance. I saw an experiment. <clears throat> I never actually checked to see if it was faked or not, but they called it Tesla Fluid 7. You know, Tesla. Um, I do. Yes. Yeah, about him. And what it was, it was so cool, it was real. It was this frog that they injected and it lined up, polarized the, the body of the frog. So he had a, okay. a, a uniform north-south and then they levitated it above a magnet. With a magnet. With a magnet. <laughs> because it had just, with all the electrons going through the body, <coughs> they, they'd managed to do, which I thought was freaking cool. But I don't know if it's actually legit or some kind of yeah. bogus sort of YouTube yeah. wonder movie. Did it kill the frog? I don't no, know. no, the frog was <laughs> chilling, man. It was just floating around in the air, like, like, you know, like those when you parachute, but you don't parachute, but above those air yeah. tunnels, and the guys do their parachuting tricks. Yeah. It was like that, yeah, but he was just on this little magnet, yeah, filled with this Tesla fluid, and it sort of just, as I say, apparently polarized it into a north and south, and bonk, mm-hmm. above the magnet, and off it went. It was cool. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so. There's all kinds of beliefs about the body and about physiology, right? Yeah. Um, and then, and then the the integration between the mind and the body, or the way that your mind can affect your physiology, is so interesting and open. Um, like you can, uh, I, I did a bunch of research into hypnotherapy, and there's all kinds of stuff that that can happen with uh, physical results you know, based on the mental state that you're in and the power of suggestion. Yeah. So people um, people have used clinical hypnotherapy to help burn victims recover faster, you know, to actually help speed the healing process or to, um, or to perform surgery and things without anesthesia. Yeah. So, you know, like we were talking before about the perception of cold, but you can also look at the perception of pain and... and uh, you know, just the, the, the 
the ability of your mind to change your physical experience or your physical reaction. Um, I can't think of the exact reference, but I think I read about one experiment where they <clears throat> they hypnotized people and they they told someone that an that they had a red hot coal and they put it on their skin and and it was it was an ice cube, but the person still blistered. Yeah. Because they believed that you know, they believed that that's what was happening and their body responded accordingly. So. Of all the superheroes, mm -hmm. like the Marvel superheroes, the Hulk, to me, is the most believable. Because that is just the mind convincing. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it can happen that quickly, but there's no reason in theory, in my mind, I mean, I haven't read up about this, but this, my version of common sense, yeah. is that if you, exactly that, if you can convince the body that it is exercising, mm. that it has to raise the heart rate to flush out the toxins and go through the entire physiological process mm. without actually running. There's no reason why you can't lie in bed through this. I mean, people argue about it, but just my thinking is why can't you, let's say no reason, but why can't you just lying in bed through this yeah. become mm. a world-class athlete without actually having hit the athletics track because you've gone through this process of convincing the body. It's mm -hmm. done all the training. The muscles therefore have strengthened and grown to, to come, combat all this training it's doing. And yeah. that's why the Hulk to me is like of all the Marvel comics, <laughs> the most realistic because all it is is the brain just hyper expanding the human body into because that's what it believes it needs to do. Right. Now, there's obviously physiological reasons that a lot of better educated people give me why it can't happen. But wow. it's that whole thing of if the brain can be convinced that reality is happening, where it's schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. Basically, I mean, people, no, but you know, schizophrenics believe genuinely that mm -hmm. there's this <laughs> other side happening on, from my understanding. And even just sports science and sports psychology, yeah. I mean, they already use a lot of visualization yeah. techniques to, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, they don't take an untrained athlete and do visualization and then put them in up against Olympic hurdlers or whatever. Yeah. But, but working with professional athletes, they do actively do visualization work because it is shown to be effective you know it's shown to make a difference that you can you can visualize whether you're a, a rock climber visualizing the route and and the specific holds and movements or or an alpine ski racer and you've sort of memorized that course and you're visualizing how you're going to execute those turns uh replaying it over and over through your mind uh makes it real yeah like i'm not gonna i can't say how it compares to actually physically doing it that many times but but it, you know, it activates those centers of the brain, and it, and it affects the body, and it affects your ability to execute those, those movements, right? Um, <clears throat> but then there's, other, you know, at the other extreme, there's people who think that all this is just a big field of consciousness, and that, you know, like we live in a holographic universe, and it's this vast sea of consciousness, and if you can tap into that, you can make all kinds of crazy changes. And I, you know, and I say crazy. Lightly. I no, guess, no, yeah, yeah. Against the accepted norm, let's call it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, you know, I only, I know what I've experienced myself, and then I know about all these other stories that I've read about that don't make any sense to me. Mm. But, but there are claims. You know, there are, there are written claims, and that's part of our challenge as humans is to evaluate those claims of other people. You know, am I going to take what you're saying seriously? Do you seem credible? Am I going to believe it just because you told me or or because it's written in that book? That's what I'm really interested in. That's why I studied linguistics was because uh, 
like the psychologists would say it's all in your head. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I say, well, yeah, how do you know what's going on in Dave's head? Unless Dave you, doesn't know. Unless, yeah, yeah, unless you talk to him. Yeah, yeah. And then how do you influence what's happening there? Uh, so, so whether you're doing counseling or psychotherapy or teaching, yeah, it's all happening through language. But are you talking purely spoken, or is it also sort of body language kind of? Yeah, thing? the whole the whole context. Yeah. So there's spoken words, body language, uh, you know, gestures, nonverbal communication, and then just the whole context. Well, is, is for right? me, the the research that I was doing was all about empowerment. Yeah. So it's not about getting you to do what I think you should do or what mm-hmm. I want you to do. But if there's something that you've already expressed yeah. that you want to do, and you just don't think you can. Then that's the, that's what I'm interested in working with yeah. and, and helping people. So yeah, like from what I've heard you say before, you're interested in helping people find their own passions. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. But, yeah. So it's not about other people doing what you've done or other no. people doing what I've done. Grief, no. But, yeah. uh, but really taking the time to figure out, well, what do they care about? Yeah. What are they, what are they motivated by or interested in? Yeah. And then if they've got some awesome idea. Yeah then yeah, how do you motivate them to at least go for it and try? Because uh, we only try things that we think are possible, right? Yeah, yeah, um, which we believe is possible. It might be impossible for me, like running across Canada with a stroller. Mm-hmm. I believe it's possible. Oh, I know it's possible. I just don't know if it's possible for me, but I've got to try Yeah, because I believe it's possible. Yeah. But um, if I fail, it doesn't matter because I know it is possible. It just means that on this particular time, I just... Yeah. In this sort of stuff. But we want to, as you said, get other people involved in their own passions. Yeah. Well, what, what I've found is it's not, there are no sort of magic words okay. that you can just say on their own to, to open people up. Okay. But, uh, but when you talk to them and you understand, uh, so the best way I can explain it is I don't think that it's helpful or particularly effective to say anything is possible. Yeah. Uh, because if you say that, then people will immediately think of something ridiculously hard. ridiculous to to try to disprove it and then they'll throw the whole idea out so okay. i think that uh people have to be taught or led to see new possibilities from within their current worldview okay so however they see the world now you have to take that new idea and connect it in a okay. in a meaningful way so that they can see sort of how to get from where they are to that new possibility and and so that's where the that's where the work sort of comes in is. And then, and then once you identify the specific barriers, there's ways, there's always ways around them uh, through reframing. So, um, for example, when I was doing my research into this, I started looking at outdoor education. Yeah. And, uh, and I was at an outdoor education center in North Wales in the UK. Okay. And they were taking groups of, of, students and adults through things like a high ropes course uh, where they'd go sort of 50 feet up in the trees and have to walk across little narrow catwalks or they'd go uh, rappelling or abseiling down cliffs. And in every group, there would always be someone who said, oh, forget it. I can't do that. You know, like there's no way. Uh, And they always had reasons that were real reasons for them. Like I'm too old. I'm too young. My knees aren't good. I'm too fat. I, I don't have enough grip strength, whatever, you know, I'm afraid of heights. Um, they had a reason, but the reason I was really interested in this context is because you had two groups of people in objectively the same situation 
right? They're all looking at the same forest and the same ropes and the same harnesses and the same logs. Yeah. These, this one group thinks that's crazy. I can't do that. There's no way. But then for the staff, they do that activity every day. They've taken hundreds or maybe thousands of people through the exact same thing. Yeah. So they know for sure that it's possible. Yeah. And, and that it's highly likely that it'll be possible for all these people too, but they can't force you into it. So they have to, they have to find a way to convince people to, to voluntarily step outside their comfort zone and, and try. Yeah. You know, and so they'll, um, I don't know how much detail you want to go into, but there's lots of things they can do to change the way people see that situation. No, because it, it's honestly, I personally believe like running across Canada is maybe 1% of the population that I believe can't do it physically. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, the, but it's, it's, it's up here. And mm. the part of the problem with up here is it's, it might just not be important i mean it might not yeah. be a factor of oh i'm making excuses because they're scared of doing it it might just be like why on <laughs> earth do you want to walk across canada so yeah like it's just not worth it it's it, just where's the value in it yeah but um i get a bit excited because the running comes so easily to me it's like you're as you say the two groups the customers and the staff mm-hmm. running i mean crumbs you know put shoes on that's that's what i love doing so it doesn't make sense to me that people believe they can't run across Canada. Mm. Uh, and what? I, I've just got to tone myself down sometimes because I just want to slap them and say, <laughs> no, but, but, it's, but it's, it's, it's almost like they, they de- denying themselves, you know, depriving themselves of, of who they, of just how phenomenal they are as a human being. Cause I, it's, it's yeah. not, a, it's not a, it's not a pride. <clears throat> it's not a sort of macho thing of, Hey, I'm Dave, I did Canada, but it's like, dude, inside you is this, organism that is just so phenomenal mm. and one of the things that this phenomenal organism can do is actually travel on foot seven and a half thousand kilometers you know yeah uh, but by saying you can't do it you're, you're sort of almost diminishing your own i don't know value worth and it's like dudes that's so sad man you don't realize how special you are yeah yeah exactly that's, and it's not about walking from a to b it's about that whole idea that you whatever is within the human being yeah. is way more powerful and capable than most people are aware of yeah. like, or give themselves credit for. Yeah. So just that whole idea that they, whatever they perceive as their own limitations are so far short of what they're actually capable yeah. of. And, um, then you see it in extreme situations where people end up in, you know, a really scary emergency. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And they, and they do things they would never imagine they could do. Yeah. Um, but, and you're like, you're not the first person I've met who's been doing something extraordinary yeah. and, and basically presented that same message. I'm not just special. That, exactly. I'm not <laughs> special. This isn't extraordinary. <laughs> I can do like all of you can do this and more. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's the thing. People will look at you and other people now. Some people will say, well, yeah, if he can do it, I can do it yeah. because they see, they choose to see similarities between Dave and themselves. Or they just see what a dork Dave is. And if if that can do it, I mean, surely I can do it. They're like, well, I'm clearly superior to Dave. So, (laughs) So, yeah. yeah. Um, And other people will say, well, yeah, of course he can do it because he's X, Y, and Z, and I'm not any of those things. So they deliberately highlight the differences. Um, And that all, you know, like academically, that all comes down to social categorization. Yeah. Just sort of what, 
we all belong to multiple categories, yeah. but not all of them are relevant all the time, you know? So which ones are you going to focus on? Yeah. And are they going to create this barrier or are they going to create the perception of similarities? Like, yeah, we're both human beings. We're both fully mobile. Yeah. You know, we've, so we've got the same capacity to do. Give or take. I mean, obviously some people yeah. do have some. But, uh, ignore him. <laughs> um, no, but it's because that's what I'm so scared of. Like when is, is if any stuff is made about this trip that it focuses on Dave, because it immediately start building this this figure mm. and you forget that this figure whether it's Olympic champion or Michael Schumacher or whoever yeah we, we sort of just say okay well it's him or her so they can do it because they got these superhuman like powers it's a special then you forget story. that they actually started off as a useless little thing crying and crapping and it's na- nappy the whole time you know and it, it, it only through belief nature nurture and the third one not sure there's a third leg to nature nurture it's not sure oh. yeah I invented it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that we sort of like attribute these sort of superhuman powers. We forget that they actually just started off peeing in their pants like the rest of us. Yeah. Um, and so, so I'm, I'm just <clears throat> scared that anything that's done about me sort of focuses more on the personality. I would rather be an obscure, but you know, like uh, those hackers. Uh, that Like anonymous. Uh, anonymous with those, those yeah. uh, masks that they have. That'd be awesome because really that's the image I want people to see is they don't really need to know me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they must just see there's this little dude running along and they should be able to superimpose their face on that and say, well, that person mm. could actually be me. The only difference is this person's made the decision to do it. I haven't yet, but if I chose to mm-hmm. just sort of take that place. I, I say identify your passion, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then forget reality, forget common sense and objectivity. What is a goal? Find that goal. And then instead of, because what we all do, we, so we look here and we look at our goal and we think, I've got to do this, 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 so I can't possibly achieve that goal. Mm. Find out what you really want to do, put it into your life, and then say, right, how do I just shift everything around it a little bit to incorporate this? Rather than having, because to me it seems like if I say just go straight for that goal, they've got to change the entire life, and then that's like too much unsettlement. Yeah. If you take it from the goal and work where backwards and say, right, well, I want to make cookies and I want to donate them to an orphanage once a week. How do I do that? Well, I need extra time. So then in my normal routine, I spend 30 minutes reading a book, which I sort of like, but I don't really like that much. So maybe instead of dropping re- reading, mm. take 15 minutes off that and focus on this goal and sort of, I don't know, is that the right way around to sort of? Yeah, that well, what you're saying makes sense. Yeah. And if it's a big goal, you might just set like break it down into little steps yeah, yeah you know so it's not so you're not just intimidated by like oh god i have to run to victoria that's so far away you know you could just say yeah i'm gonna i'm just gonna start running like and i yeah because what i want to do is is share this message and i'm gonna i'm gonna run for like three days and see how i feel and if i feel like yeah. i want to keep running then i'll run for three or four more days and see where i end up and yeah you know and then eventually you're gonna cross the whole country or another thing that I, I looked at recently was uh, uh, a former Navy SEAL yeah. talking about how he got through the training and selection process. Yeah. And it was, uh, you know, if he, if he thought about that whole week, he'd be completely overwhelmed. Yeah, week, yeah. But if he just thought about, like, the next little piece, like, you know, they're doing something crazy like standing in the ocean in the middle of the night. Yeah. And he's like, I just have to make it to dawn. Like, I just want to make it to sunrise on yeah. day one. 
and then the sun will come up and I'll feel warm and I'll feel better and then the sun comes up and it's like okay I just have to make it to breakfast yeah because then I'm going to get a little bit of, I'm going to get some food and I'll feel better and and that's how he got through the whole week yeah mindset makes a huge difference and um I don't believe that anything is possible for everybody no or that there's a that there's a level playing field you know that like there are meaningful differences yeah. between us as individuals in terms of background and physical ability and opportunities and culture. Yeah. So that's all real and relevant, but it doesn't necessarily have to create a barrier depending on depending on what your passion is and what your goal is. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just going to be a different path like what I sort of think is what is the real reason why they want to achieve it. And it could be mm. you know, I mean, I could really be doing this just so that I can get famous so that I can go down Hollywood. And have young women throw the underwear at me. That might actually that be, might be your that, goal. but but that might be the, the the thing that gets me out of bed every morning. Yeah, really, truly, like the motivation. That is yeah. the, the the core motivation behind what I do. And that's the other thing is to try to tell people, look, just this is what you want to do. But so extrinsically, that's your thing. What is the intrinsic? Or is it an intrinsic or extrinsic reward that you're looking for? You don't have to tell me because I say it might yeah. actually be something that's. Not so you know, noble, you know, like underways and all that. Uh, but just just work out really what it is that, that's going to motivate you, and then fo- focus on that. You know, is is it mm-hmm. the glory? Is it the sense of being out in the open? Whatever it is, you'll be able to identify, and it'll change as well. You'll go in thinking, "Well, I'm doing it because I love this," and halfway through, you'll realize the only reason I'm doing this is because there's a lovely. <laughs> getting reward. back to you yeah, right. no there's a totally different reward waiting for me and that's what really motivates me but uh, I mean I'm totally uneducated in any of this stuff so I'm just sucking my thumb filling people's heads with like lovely flowery words and that Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm destroying <clears throat> lives or creating little monsters or what's happening so I don't know well, you're, you're creating your ripple you know you're creating your, your own unique the unique influence of Dave just sort of rippling around through all yeah. the people that you encounter listening to these two guys talk it feels like i'm sitting around a campfire and i'm listening to people who are talking about following their dream and it's a dream that not everyone quite understands it's really the best part about my job is meeting people with unique perspectives that have worldviews that seem so foreign but are really familiar it's not their specific goal but the idea the goal itself that inspires Now, you can be cynical and skeptical of the dreams and the stories, but that cynicism and skepticism seems to me to be based on fear and jealousy. It's scary to announce your dreams to the world. What if you don't succeed? Well, the point of all these athletes is that the disappointment is in not trying. It's far worse than not succeeding. My goal is that you, the listener, are becoming inspired to try something that you've always thought about but were somehow reluctant to try. And also to connect the dots that the modern adventure athlete, the modern extreme athlete, and the athletes that we look at historically are really not that different. If you'd like to see our short documentary on Dave's run across Canada, it's called West to the Sea, and it's on our website, accidentalproductions.net. And it's on our Vimeo channel, Accidental Productions. We'll get back to Maurice's story in the next episode. And if all goes well, uh, we'll see you at base camp. I'm just like my old man, he told me so.
Touch us all ashore.